and welcome to Pods Like Us. My name is Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv, and with me this time is Sam Wiles of the show Paul or Nothing. How are you doing, Sam? Hey there, Marv. Uh, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I, I mean, anyone who gives me any occasion to talk about myself for any length of time is always going to be uh, very appreciated. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Great, great. So how were you introduced to the world of podcasting in the first place? I've been thinking about this this morning and I couldn't actually like put a pin on a year or incident or person who did it on my behalf. Um, I guess they're just that normalised and ubiquitous in my life, really. I remember the first shows I listened to, which would have been like the Ricky Gervais show or the Joe Rogan experience or uh, Mark Maron's podcast, you know, I've been listening to those shows for at least a, a decade now, uh, for better or worse. Um, yeah, I've, I've I've always listened to podcasts, and I can't remember a time when I hadn't, really. So how did that influence you to start being a podcaster yourself and doing, what was it, was it the Tom Waits show that you started with? Yeah, so I started off with a show called Down in the Hole, Um I, I always knew I was going to do podcasting because it's a lot cheaper than filming stuff. And, it, you know, you don't have to hire crews and camera equipment and all of that stuff. And I thought it was a very egalitarian art form in that regard. I did a terrible uh, tabletop wargaming pilot in my uni dorm room uh, about a decade ago called The Black Pyramid, uh, which which will never get released. That that, uh, that has been long since deleted but me and my friend Tom started uh, down in the hole, uh, basically, basically because there hadn't been a Tom Waits podcast released at that point. And if there, if if the podcast you want to listen to isn't out there, my suggestion is you always go out there and make it. And we managed to do loads of firsts, and we kind of defined that little niche in the podcasting world, and we were really proud of that. Uh, and then we had a little breakup. And we kind of put that show on hiatus. And then that's how Paul or Nothing was born. Brilliant. So uh, when you started uh, podcasting, any sort of like tips or advice for people about that? It definitely depends on your style. It, you know, is it going to be quite dry and informative or is it going to be like conversational? Uh, I always try and do something slightly in between. Uh, definitely have a unique idea. It doesn't have to be a completely original one. You know, most ideas have been done. You've just got to do one that's slightly different or better than the next person. Or, you know, if you've got a strong enough personality, then you can pretty much do any podcast on anything and people will listen. It's all about the grind, really. It's all about uh, the, the consistency of your content, how often you release it, and how much fun you have doing it, you know, if, if, you, if you're going to have a grind with this kind of thing and you're not going to enjoy being up every night writing notes for it and talking about it to everyone you know and boring them incessantly, then maybe don't do it. Um, you've, you've definitely got to be obsessed with it um, and picking Paul McCartney and to a lesser extent Beatles. That was an easy job for me. That's good. But you've got a very different show altogether to all the other Beatles and Paul McCartney related shows C can you explain that for the listeners uh, I'll I'd love to hear you describe it as well after but um, okay. I, I guess um, Paul or nothing it's the place to get all of your Paul all of the time um, the, the, uh, the gist at the start was that I, I wasn't a McCartney completionist I didn't know 90% of the discography and I'm still a relative novice in that sense, but the idea is I go through the albums chronologically and discover them with you, the listener, for the first time. Um, I, I also give quite a young, a reverent perspective, I suppose, considering I just turned 28 and McCartney's 78 now. Um, I'd like to think the show's informative, you know. Uh, the, the, there is no topic I won't cover. Uh, so, you know, as well as album reviews, you know, I'll have done films... Uh, interviews. I've done an episode on McCartney and Kanye West. I've done stuff on Paul is wow. Dead, Bond, The Simpsons, children's books. Um, I'd like to think it's quite funny. Uh, some people don't. Quite a few of my iTunes reviews don't seem to agree with that, but 
I've I've pretty much kept the show the exact way I've I've wanted to keep it since day one, really. Yeah, I think there's room for people to you know view things differently, and the, the problem is that a lot of people are narrow-minded and just think this is how you should view an artist and you know it's almost like telling you well you've got to like this album but oh you've got to steer clear of McCartney too and I think hmm, you're joking I love McCartney too oh yeah like there are so many times when I'm presented with the McCartney narrative as is and it never seems to line up that way like oh Tug of Wars the the great you know return to form album and I'm like eh. I didn't think he was doing anything that bad before or after, actually. Yeah. So it's um, and McCartney too. Like, like like you say, not a lot of people tend to throw that one a lot of praise, but that's probably uh, the contender for my favourite Paul McCartney album. Easily, uh, there's so much zany creativity on that album, especially. Um, but yeah, the the idea of challenging the narrative, I, I don't go as far as say like the the ladies on another kind of mind. They are definitely more philosophical in that sense. But I do try and go into all of this with an open mind. I don't have the broadest musical taste, but, but like when I do get my teeth into something, I, I do go very deep and you know coming coming across all the McCartney cold cuts and unreleased tracks and all of that stuff. That's some of the most fun stuff I've ever done on, in podcasting, really. So when you do each episode, do you have like a, a formula sort of structure that you follow and what sort of research and resources do you use? So if you're going to do any sort of topic on a real person or a real thing, I always recommend books, 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 books. Buy as many books as you can. Amazon is very cheap these days. You want to get those sources I used to quote quite a lot of sources early on in the podcast. And I think that's because I was doing it at university at the time. And I was just very used to writing essays in that way. But now I, I try and, you know, rebrand the information through my own voice, I guess. Um, although for my flowers in the dirt one, I think I quoted Elvis Costello about 12 times, but um, yeah, in terms of a structure, um, the first couple of pages are almost copy and pasted with just minor tweaks uh, for each episode, um, just just because I like I like to get through the formalities quite uh, quickly and smoothly. Now I've had quite a few comments where people say, "Sam, you are just rambling on for twenty minutes about nothing. Can you get to the episode?" Um, but yeah, structure normally intro and then housekeeping where I do all the admin for the show, and then typically it's going to vary a lot because I, I cover quite a lot of content, but in terms of a review, it's normally going to be the context first, everything you need to know reviews from what other people have said, preferably you want to research sources on uh, things like rocksbackpages.com. If you can get um, past there, that gives you like access to, you know, the enemy and smash hits magazine and Kerrang from years gone by. And you can get fantastic uh, articles there and stuff. Um, you know, all you can really get on Google these days is like the occasional Rolling Stone review. Um, so you really do have to go out there and find stuff that's not just on Wikipedia and the Steve Hoffman forums, you know. Um, and then typically towards the end, uh, I'll do song reviews and stuff like that. And I'll go through the music and then I'll do some cobbled together little summary at the end and then cut to Denny Lane playing No Words. Well, you can't go wrong with that song at all, no. Um, so when you've got all that together, how do you go about editing it and how do you decide those times when you go from a single episode to altering it and making it into two episodes instead? How do you go through all that? So the only occasion where I've realised after recording that it was going to be a two-parter was my interview with Another Kind of Mind recently, actually. That's going to be an ongoing thing, and we didn't even record an ending for that. Normally, if it's going to be expanded, it's typically in the writing of it. Uh, the the Paul is dead thing, that was originally going to be one part. That split into two parts. Um, most of the album reviews back in the day, they were one part. 
but then I did one with Ken Michaels where I did the context, the interview. No, no, it was with Ken Womack. Sorry. Uh, I did the, the context and the history. Then I did an interview with Ken just on general Beatles stuff. Then we got into the album and it was like three hours, 40 minutes or something. And then I realized, yeah, I've got to streamline this. I've got to cut this down into two parts. And at the end of the day, people, you only get one download for a show that's three hours and 40 minutes so you may as well split it into two parts have two weeks worth of content and get twice the downloads as well which sounds awfully cynical and i probably shouldn't say stuff like that but you know you've got to cheat those algorithms where you can um in terms of like editing and putting the shows together um once i've got my recording done i typically do a very quick edit where i take out any bad takes uh, or or repetitions, and then I'll do like take out things like all of my stutters and erms. Uh, I can spot like large gaps, and I can physically spot the word erm and you know in audio form a mile after I take all of that out. Then I'll listen through at my leisure and do the main proper edit and sort it all out. I might do a lot of retakes at this point, especially if it's a solo episode. But um, one I've done with Kurt Tool recently, uh, give my regards to Broad Street. There are, there's audio issues on that. So I know that I'm pretty much going to have to re-record probably 30 minutes worth of conversation on my end. But because I've got such a, a tight script, it's not going to be much of an issue at all there, which is going to be a very fun process putting all of that together. Um, and then once I've done the main edit, that all goes into GarageBand where I add music and clips and the theme to the show and all the rest of the audio. And then boom, it's pretty much done. I've recently got a new Mac and editing episodes and uh, downloading them and getting them all completed is taking less time than ever now. So that's been really fun compared to the old banger of a computer I used to use. That's great. So um, have you got any actual standout episodes that you can think of that you've released? Ooh, um, again, I'd love to hear your answer for that as well, uh, just to rub my ego there. Um, episodes that stand out for me, I think a lot of my main album reviews have gotten a lot better recently, um, just because I take a lot more time and try and find interesting things to talk about. Uh, Tug of War Part 1, for example, I'm particularly proud of that episode. I did a little soundscape thing where, like, it was the bells from John Lennon's mother played over strawberry fields and audio of, the like, radio reports of Lennon's murder and stuff. I got very esoteric and weird with that. Um, my, my interview with Lawrence Juber was probably my first big interview. Uh, shout out to Lawrence, the nicest guy in Beatles podcasting. Absolutely. Um, Recently, my interview with Brantley Gutierrez, the uh, director of the Who Cares music video. Um, that was just a nice exclusive for me, really. Um, no one else is going to have that one. Not even uh, my rivals. I've got an exclusive there, which always made me very happy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and all my stuff with Ken Michaels. Um, he's been a darling to my show Um and given it a lot more attention than it ever deserved, really. And I've had three fantastically rambly and lengthy episodes with him. And oddly enough, though, it's my uh, music video side series episodes that I seem to get the most response with. I always get emails from people saying, your description of the With a Little Luck music video was very funny or something like that. So, um, yeah. Um, yes, I, I liked I liked the one where you're doing the early '80s videos recently. That was that was fun with uh, Ed Chen uh, yes. from a pod from uh, who hosts obviously when there was Fab, and you've been on that show, right? Yeah, we did a show. Uh, we were talking about how music hall shaped the music of the Beatles. So I, well, I got my so I got my ukulele out and was sort of like showing them how songs were influenced by by that okay because obviously uh, George was a lifelong member of the George Formby uh, fan club and he loved his uke uh, when um, McCartney comes out on stage and does something with the ukulele that's a, a standout part of the concert for George as well as McCartney's tours for years actually uh, always brings a tear to my eye that one 
I love Paul's songs on that that concert actually I think he does some really lovely versions of George's songs it's um, For You Blue he does as well doesn't he he does which is a really good version and it's, All Things Must Pass yeah oh uh, wow so it's <laughs> so it's like yeah I'm, I'm I'm sorry George I couldn't have put this on Let It Be but I'll play it at your post-death concert don't worry uh, that's a funny little reckoning there um, yes it's strange though. I think my favourite version of "For You Blue" is off the anthology, uh, the kind of piano-based one, where yes. um, I think it's McCartney playing in the background, and it's very honky tonk, rinky dink, piano. It's very fun. Yeah, it has actually got very much that feel to it, hasn't it? It's got the almost, um, um, or is it? Because I mean, it's almost got a Rocky Raccoon piano. Thing in the background going to it yeah that's it that's exactly it. it's 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 almost like a a western but yeah and it was definitely prophesizing what a george harrison sound probably would have sounded like on future beatles releases definitely um yeah so you were mentioning what my thoughts on your episodes were i mean i've already mentioned a couple but i think what it shows is that when you start doing the podcast you're already a seasoned podcaster, shall we say? Um, but yeah, but the uh, the first episodes are quite rough and ready. I feel I can't listen to them for, some, no. <laughs> for sure. No, I definitely can't. I um, have, and I've enjoyed them. Oh well, thank you. Uh, they they are like when I go back and I look at the notes for my first episodes, it's like the ramblings of a psychopath. I'm like, I can't read this. This isn't. This isn't a proper script. I've just written like three bullet points. Like Ram is good. I'm like, oh, oh, how did I get an hour out of that? You know, um, I do. I do definitely tend to overwrite uh, for sure. But yeah, I'm glad someone enjoys my early episodes. I do. Uh, but from there, it's sort of grown. And like you said, you can actually see, um, I'm hoping that people will find this with my podcast that I get better as I go along. What yours do, they get more solid. You've got yourself now to where you are in a really good place, but you can see from episode to episode going through that there is that growth. I'd like to think so. I'm a, I'm a lot more confident. Um, I don't know why I don't trust myself more to just sit at the mic and ramble um, like um, I'm sure you've heard some of my listen with Sam episodes where I just put on an album in the background and talk over it to avoid copyright issues. Yeah. Uh, and I always wake up like the week before those episodes thinking, you know what? I'm just going to whack on Red Rose Speedway and I'm just going to riff, brah. I'm just going to riff, dude. And you know, five days pass. I'm like, now nah, I'm, I'm going to bottle out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start writing just a couple of notes. And then a week after that, it's turned into this 13 page document that I've now got to read word for word. Um, it's always very fun writing those episodes actually, because when you're writing notes, you don't really know how it's going to translate to a song. And in terms of timing, I've kind of worked it out that if you do an A4 page of font size 11, it's typically going to be three to four minutes, depending on how fast you read. Okay, that's a good uh, bit of knowledge. That is. Uh, what's well, your favorite? Well, what is your favorite? Sorry, go on. I was going to say, but I talk at this rate as well, and I read it very, very quickly, and end up talking over myself, and then end up having to redo takes because it just sounds like blah, 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 you know. <laughs> what is your favorite album then by Paul? Go on. Oh, it is Ram. It's always it's always been Ram, and it, and it always will be. Um, and then number two is McCartney two. I can't not mention McCartney two. Um, third place, fourth and fifth is always the most in- interesting uh, rotation for me, though. Um, not you know, typically it's going to be whatever album I'm listening to currently for the show. So I reckon Off the Ground could be my fifth favorite at the moment, kind of controversially. Wow, um, that is controversial. Yeah, but yeah, but then Flaming Pie will be my favourite a couple of months after. You know, it's fine. Um, with with Paul though, I've always found that I kind of like a lot a lot of his lamer albums, as it were. A lot of the albums that people kind of rag on and don't think are any good and are a bit doe-eyed and silly. Uh, Wildlife is probably my favourite Wings album. Okay, I think Pipes of Peace is better than Tug of War. Um, you know, 
I love silly things like Back on My Feet and songs like that. I love walking through the park with Eloise and, yes. uh, you know, uh, what is it? the country hams or the county hams, that kind of nonsense. And that's what makes Paul Paul for me. And when you hear John saying things like granny music and silly love songs, you know, you do wonder if it is all just jealousy, because for me, it's some of Paul's most classically musical stuff. You know, uh, it feels timeless whenever he does it. I'm not always sure if John really meant what he was saying about that. You know, because John had a history with that sort of music as well. Yeah, as people would say, yeah, he has a big mouth and, you know, he just said a lot of stuff that came to his head and he's about as a reliable narrator as Norman Bates or the Joker, isn't he? That's true, that's true. It seems to me that what you're mentioning, though, about albums, I think you're more into the albums where there's more of an experimental edge to them. Like, with Pipes of Peace, it's the more, not quite, but but more avant-garde response or... It's like um, two albums, because they were both made together, Tug of War and Pipes of Peace. It's like the accompanying um, album that's the more avant-garde of the two albums. It's definitely the cooler older brother in that sense. Like songs like uh, Hey Hey or Tug of Peace. I find them to be so interesting and like, what? Paul was doing McCartney 2 stuff in the mid-80s. How fantastic. And... A song like Through Our Love is up there with Maybe I'm Amazed as far as I'm concerned. It is an album of real hitters. I'm also, in terms of uh, just going back to what you say with, with albums, though, I am the fan of an underdog. If the fan base is saying something's bad, there's a small part of me that's a bit of a contrarian hipster that just likes to get under people's craw. And I do try extra hard to like those songs. And with Paul... The longer you listen to stuff and the more effort you put in and the more you allow him to become an earworm, the easier it is for him to, you know, add yet more classics to your roster. Well, the Wings Wildlife one, what you've got there is you've got an album that's um, it's experimental in itself that he's just basically said, right, I want to go in, come up with songs really quickly, get them recorded, see what we've got. Put it out it's another form of risk taking from paul that's not the experimentalism that he did with uh, with the fireman or with mccartney too but it's still him experimenting with something else it's like he doesn't want to keep doing the same thing constantly he's always want to at least try something different and then he might go back to doing something that's popular but he's always got that edge to him where he wants to see what's there Oh, he'll always do something different, even to his detriment, because you just go to the next album, Red Blue Speedway, and all of the songs selected for that are just the most clean, crisp, bubblegum pop tunes you could ever hope to accumulate out of all of the songs he had. And then, you know, talking about experimental songs, all of the experimental songs on that album were pretty much cut, arguably, except for maybe something like Lou, First Indian on the Moon or something like that. But, you know, things like Jazz Street and Night Out and Henry's Blues and all the more interesting tracks. Uh, Mama's Little Girl. Nope, never seen again, sadly. Um, Uh, Even Linda's song as well. That would have been nice on an album. Seaside Woman is an underrated classic as far as Paul or nothing is concerned. I think that as well. I really like that song. I, th- I think she wrote some good songs, actually, Linda. Yeah, I was just discussing this with Ethan Alexanian on a Wings Greatest episode, and we were saying, you know, even if you don't have Another Day and Uncle Albert Admiral Halsey on it, and you do what Paul was perhaps going to do on All the Best and add Water Spout and add, you know, kind of a couple of cold cuts to it. Like, what would you add? And we both said uh, Oriental Nightfish or Seaside Woman. Those would be great things to add to a a Wings Greatest. Definitely. I actually like the two-album version of Red Rose Speedway that came with the archive collection. It's not complete, though. It's still not complete. Not all the tracks are on it. Yeah. I want Henry's Blues, no matter what people say about it. I reckon it's because the McCullough estate just doesn't want to give Paul another thing, you know. Maybe like Denny Lane warned them, don't give him the song rights ever. No. no. So, 
how were you introduced to the music of Paul and the Beatles then? I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg in that regard, because my dad had always owned Band on the Run, and I remember the image of the vinyl very distinctly, even from childhood, and him playing it. My mom came from a background of having Beatles 45s played all day when she was a baby growing up. Her and my dad would listen to the Band on the Run A track in his in his car, which is such a dated sentence to say. Um, but <laughs> it was my friend Tom who I did down in the hole with. I lent him my iPod Nano just to uh, highlight the leap in years and technology. And he popped uh, Revolver onto my iPod Nano. Uh, he also put Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. So it was a it was a very momentous moment, I guess, uh, in terms of my life. Uh, but Two great yeah. albums. Oh yeah, and once I'd heard Revolver, I was pretty much hooked. Uh, you know, that, well, one, two, three, four, one, three, four. <laughs> once I'd heard that, I was I was totally sold. And I can still remember being in Mrs. Snyder's art class, painting Colonel Hans Lander from Inglorious Bastards. I don't know why my Catholic school was allowing me to paint this Nazi, but I guess I was seeing what I could get away with. And I was listening to Help, and I remember just being so overwhelmed by all the music on that album that one of the girls in my class almost caught me crying, uh, which was a very funny experience for me. So which Beatles film do you prefer then? Do you prefer Help or A Hard Day's Night? Or are oh, you oh, off help. the side and like in um, Magical Mystery Tour? Well, if I really want to be controversial, I always say that Let It Be is my favourite Beatles movie. Okay. Um, just because it's I... true. Yeah, and I love seeing them sad. You know, it's just far more compelling and gripping, isn't it? Um, Yellow Submarine artistically and visually i would argue is more uh, uh, eye catching than a hard day's night though a hard day's night is more classic in that regard both yellow submarine and a hard day's night though they are up there with things like you know the wizard of oz singing in the rain or jurassic park where if you put them on and i could be doing heart surgery but if someone popped that film on in the background i've just got to stop what i'm doing and watch it from start to finish it gets me every time one of those films you've mentioned is my favourite film of all time. Jurassic Park? Singing in the Rain. I love Singing in the Rain. It's so good. Uh, dignity. Always dignity. <laughs> it's, yeah. Got going a bit off, to, off subject here, but it's a really good film about a specific time period and something that really happened to people, but it does it in such a clever way. And yeah. you, you've also got Gene Kelly there. It's absolute prime. It's well. like, like the first act's like a borderline parody film as well. Like it's genuinely really funny, but it's also stocked with an almost Saturday Night Fever level of just classic tunes, you know, um, picked from decades worth of previous musicals and cobbled together that way, if I'm not mistaken. That's true. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like they've been cobbled together from different places. It's like they all fit perfectly. It's magical, isn't it? And it is. uh, make them laugh is one of my all-time favourite moments in cinema. Um, I'd have to argue, though, that Oliver is, in fact, the better musical. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. One of my all-time dreams is to play Fagin one day. Okay. I think you've got a few years yet till you can do that, maybe, unless they I'll, put lots of makeup on you. I'll be back soon. Okay. Back to the subject at hand, the uh, podcast. How do you go about arranging guests? And are there any guests that are absolute dreams that you would love to uh, talk with? Well, most of the people I want to talk to all end up on two legs anyway. So that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah, there's no point in having dreams or hopes anymore. I'm lucky to have the scraps I have. In terms of dreams, though, it's got to be Mark Lewison, hasn't it? Uh, to get Mark Lewison on the show, the, the ultimate quote-unquote authority on the Beatles. Um, I'd love to speak with Robert Rodriguez and Richard Buskin as well. Um, I'd love to have James Rolfe, the uh, the angry video game nerd, to uh, come and talk about the Give My Regards to Broad Street video game. Okay. And perhaps even 
maybe someone who worked on the Beatles rock band. I think that'd be a, a nice fun chat. That is a Marv- good game. Oh yeah. Um, one of the dirty secrets of podcasting is you just email people. You just you just find them on the internet like you were some sort of crazy stalker. Yes, that's how it worked for me. Yeah, something I definitely recommend: uh, get a one month free trial on IMDb Pro, and okay. it gets you like all the contact details for managers of people, like not even like massive people, just people that you might want to have on your podcast because they may have some random film credit or they may have worked on scores and stuff like that. And, you know, you just send these people flattering emails and you say, oh, I love your work and, you know, your work with blah, 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 or, or your bass playing on this album or your production on that single. It changed my life forever. You grease them up good. You charm them with your wit. And people actually come on your show. A lot of my biggest uh, bags have been for the Tom Waits podcast. Um, speaking to really, really prominent musicians in Tom Waits' career, as well as artists and photographers that have worked with him as well. Some of them, I'm still kind of blown away that I got to speak to some of those people. Um, Steve Holly as well. I'd like to speak to Steve Holly and Denny Lane, of course. Lots uh, of people would like to talk to Steve. Yeah, um, I contacted his wife once. She politely declined. I will let you know that you've beaten two legs to uh, Lawrence Jupiter. Yeah, no, um, that was that was an insane bag very early on, that was. Uh, I was very lucky to, to uh, speak with Lawrence. I'd, I actually spoke to him while sat in my friend's bathroom because that was the only place with a locked door where I knew that people wouldn't barge in and disturb me. Uh, I was around my friends for a party that weekend, so uh, that was a... Uh, Lawrence, if you're listening now, that was a very interesting experience for me, indeed. Hopefully nobody needed to interrupt you. No, but uh, if I needed a toilet break, I didn't need to interrupt Lawrence. As long as you press mute. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned also that you are into other music. What other music are you actually into then, other than, you know, Paul, the Beatles and Tom Waits? rather shamelessly i am quite a huge kanye west fan uh, i've pretty much listened to everything he's done um talking heads i love talking heads i'd love to do a podcast on them one day Definitely. um stevie wonder there's nothing by stevie wonder that i don't love uh, elton john queen if i really want to have uh, an indulgent day i'll probably pop on eminem's greatest hits uh a lot of my everyday music, I just tend to go on Spotify recommendation playlists, save random songs that I thought were quite interesting, and then not listen to them for six months, and then feel like I've got this random new playlist of undiscovered classics. Um, you know, I'll have like a random song by XTC, and then a Dolly Parton track, and then some Wu-Tang Clan, and uh, those end up being my kind of day-to-day compilation albums, I guess. Very random stuff. Wow, I, I like that mix. That's a good mix. It's great. No, I, I mean, when I was younger, I kind of defined myself on what music I didn't like. And to this day, I'm still really bad at discovering new music. And I guess the, the uh, slow uh, day-by-day uh, nature of Paul or Nothing, where I'm kind of listening to these albums for a couple of weeks before I, I start recording or even a couple of months, um, means I can kind of formulate my opinions a little more. But um, yeah, like... I don't know. Outside of things like horrendously dark and depressing black Norwegian metal, there's not much I wouldn't listen to. That's good. So what's your knowledge about the other Beatles like then for their solo careers? Yeah, I had to do something for when there was Fab the other day. We were doing an episode on 1970. And God, I wrote so many notes that were just useless for that episode. Like I wrote stuff about like the Hey Jude compilation album because that came out in 1970. We didn't talk about it. I was like, I wrote an A4 page on that. I was like, for fuck's sake. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, I hadn't really sunk my teeth too deeply into the wider Beatle solo discographies. Um, I'm yet to check out any of Pete Best's work. Um, But with Lennon, I had quite a few of his albums at uni. Um, I had like the John Lennon collection and Shaved Fish and Live in New York City. So, I was, oh, and the Imagine soundtrack as well. I had that as well. So, I was quite familiar with his greatest hits. 
Uh, as with Ringo, that was kind of the same, just a couple of greatest hits here and there. But um, a couple of months ago, every single podcast on the planet did an episode on 1973's self-titled Ringo album. So I was kind of compelled to go and check that out after that. Um I'm a huge fan of Scorsese's documentary Living in the Material World. And I think that film was so good. It stunted my curiosity into checking out the rest of George's work. But um, yeah, All Things Must Pass. That is an album that 100% lives up to the hype. And it is, for the first two discs at least, it's just packed wall to wall with all-time classic Beatle George songs. It's so good. It's interesting because uh, I don't know whether you caught, um, was it Talk More Talk? They were talking about, oh, oh no, it was your show, wasn't it? Where they were talking about that, that last year, I think. The one with uh, when there was, was it when, you, when they were saying that, in a way, those songs that the Beatles didn't do of George's wouldn't have been quite the same if the Beatles had done them. And in some ways, the better for the fact that they were left off and became songs on All Things Must Pass. I don't know. I kind of would have liked to hear what um, The Art of Dying would have sounded like in 1966. You know, chuck that on Sergeant Pepper or something and get rid of Good Morning, Good Morning. Uh, you know, I think they could have made it work. I've got to say, yeah, in a way. Because uh, have, have you heard the, the rehearsal footage of them doing the actual song All Things Must Pass, The Beatles? Outside of the Scorsese documentary, no. I've I've heard like a few jingy jangly cuts where it's like sunrise doesn't last. You know, it's all very uh, stripped down and stuff. But um, the Beatles version of that, I imagine, would have too much Paul backing vocal on it. And you know, Spectre is the kind of thing that makes that album work for for better or worse. That is really funny, you know, that you said that because I can see it coming on the Let It Be expanded. It's funny because there are versions of it where they're doing all things must pass. And actually, it's, it's almost like Paul is constantly singing behind George. So you've got George doing the lead and you've mm. always got Paul there almost singing word for word, backing him up all the way through. So it's like you've got dual vocal. So he's harmonising George almost throughout. I don't think he thinks the song's strong enough without his vocal on it, though. I think that's the uh, the key point there. Um, it's such a shame what George had on Let It Be. I mean, I do love uh, For You, Blue, and I Me Mine is an all-time classic, even though it was kind of recorded after the Let It Be sessions had ended, kind of technically. Um, And Old Brown Shoe is another one of those uh, contrarian hipster tracks that I do like to say I love as well. Um, But I don't think All Things Must Pass, the triple album, would have been that affected if a couple of those songs had made it on to Let It Be instead. No, I don't know. Yeah, All Things Must Pass would have been fine. It would it would have been fine. You even could have opened Side 2 with it. Absolutely. Yeah, for George, it is All Things Must Pass. For Ringo, possibly a greatest hits album that I haven't discovered yet. Um maybe the Ringo album, but only by default. Uh, With John, though, it's always been Imagine. And I've come to terms with why Imagine's my favourite Lennon album. And it's because it's the most poppy and the most McCartney. You know, just check out songs like Crippled Inside. It's just Lennon doing Paul and kind of bowing down to that. And that's why I love it. Well, me, when I listen to Imagine, I think you've got the... So he's gone through the uh, the Plastic Ono Band album and almost got that out of his system. Like so the screaming, yeah. It's like the screaming and everything. But then when you get to Imagine, you've still got John, he's still who he was back then, but slightly different. So you've still got his um, natural, almost snark in places, but the sound is more produced than in the first album, for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, so you've yeah, got yeah. a mixture of the two. You've got the good from um, Plastic Ono Band, but then you've also got the production as well to back up the songs. Yeah, and it's so strange how, you know, McCartney's lack of success in the early 70s is so well documented, but it's like no one ever talks about how after Imagine, no one gave a shit about John Lennon's albums anymore. You know, no one bought them. Um, You know, oh no, Back to the Egg sold less than a million units. And it's like... How how many units did Mind Games sell? 
I don't know. Shame because there's some really good songs on Mind Games as well, such as the title track. Is that is number nine Dream off that one as well? Maybe. That or is might, that or is that, that Walls and Bridges? One of my favorites. I think that might be on Mind Games, or is it? I don't know now. Might I'm not. I don't I run a John terrible. Lennon podcast. I don't. I don't feel bad no. about not knowing that. No. I, I ain't say, but like yourself, I'm more inclined towards Paul's career because he's the best one. Let's just let's just get over it right now. You know, if you want John to write you a generic twelve bars blues, uh, you know, riff, then you know he's your man. But if you want Paul to give you something where you don't know what it's going to be and it can be anything because he can do everything, then you know. It's just always more interesting. It's like, oh, what's John going to be singing about? Is it himself, Yoko, or the government? Mm. Like, Paul could be singing about anything. The lyrics might not be very good. (laughs) And and it might have love in there somewhere. Um, And the occasional salamander. Yeah, uh, the the occasional P.S. Love Me Do. uh, Or Lindiana which is one of the worst titles ever for quite a good song. I guess I wanted to go back to that question I wanted to ask you earlier. Like, how would you say my show's different from the other Beatles and possibly other Paul McCartney shows out there then? Like, what's my unique selling point? I think your unique selling point is that you are coming at it almost like an outsider because it's... Other than, like you said, other than those couple of albums that you knew beforehand, when you started your podcast, you were coming at the albums as a new listener. So to to me, it was interesting because, I mean, I've been listening to Paul McCartney since, well, since I was a child. So probably the early 70s. I have memories as a baby of my mum and dad listening to uh, Red Rose Speedway. Mm. So. so, you know, you'd be playing power cut and then all of a sudden the power would actually go off, <laughs> which is brilliant. Um, so listening to you, it's interesting because then that gives another point of view, but it's not a completely different point of view, as we've noticed, because I like the experimental Paul much like you do. Ah, well, thanks for that. Uh, I always like to get feedback in that regard, but it's always the most cringeworthy thing to kind of ask for it um once you start getting your itunes reviews and Podbean reviews and comments and stuff like that you'll soon feel that sting uh i know um your own personal beatles they're a, a new beatles show that just started and uh, they mentioned on like their third episode or something that they got a couple of factual errors wrong in their first couple of, of episodes and they found out the hard way that you don't with Beatle fans in terms of like factual accuracy and uh, you know being very clinical in that regard. I have to watch myself with that because, as, as you well know, I, I can be a bit over the top with offering you know suggestions where you know uh, p- perhaps you know that wasn't quite hundred percent factual or something or this something that you missed or something. I really need to cut back on that. I think I don't know. The slimiest thing I've ever done in podcasting, uh, I remember once I had a question and an answer that didn't quite go together. So what I did was I took the question for one answer and swapped it around with another. And it was a completely different order of how the person was talking, but the podcast sounded so much better because of it. And the idea somehow flowed better. Um But yeah, there are loads of things you can do to uh, improve episodes here and there. Um, There's also nothing wrong with not releasing something if you genuinely have to make it better. Um, If you're procrastinating, that's another thing. But um, for example, the the Tug of War episode, that took absolutely ages to come out. The Flowers in the Dirt one. Like, I was like, oh, okay, I'll write a couple of pages on Elvis Costello. Oh, no, I've written like 12 pages on Elvis Costello. Uh, you know, these these things uh, generally tend to spiral out of control. With the last few episodes that I've been recording over my holiday, I've been trying to do just kind of more like interview-style ones just to get people on. Because um, whenever I do a solo podcast, you know, having that script there is very good because I'm not auto-generating a lot of the time there. I'm kind of just 
formalizing thoughts that I've already had. But when you're with someone live and you have the banter back and forth and you're riffing, you can always end up producing uh, much more fun stuff in that regard. (laughs) You've had some very interesting guests, I'll say that for sure. Yeah, I'm proud that I'm the only podcast that's had Jeffrey Giuliano on. Um, the, we're always the, going there, the notorious Beatles shyster. I need to have him back on, don't I? I know it gets in people's craw, and that's what's so fun about it, you know. Well, going off slightly, that's almost what I like about... Have, have you heard Anthony's... I think, have you, haven't you been on Anthony's show before, Glass Onion? I've been on it in the form of a swap cast. Um, yep. He came on and did um, a toot and a snort in 74 with me back in June. Yep. And then just yesterday, actually, part one, two of his podcast was released on his end now. So, yeah, we are very well acquainted with each other. Yeah, But there you've got with Anthony, he's not afraid to broach the subject that people might be a bit weary of going to because he because of the way that Anthony does his show, which is more, well, he, he likes the psychology of everything, doesn't he, Anthony? So there again, you've got somebody who's willing to go with that extra bit to find something that is interesting, but, you know, people might be a bit weary of. Yeah. Um, it's always nice to find some new random bit of Paul McCartney's discography that, that really excites you. Uh, I'm currently writing up some notes right now on uh, Return to Pepperland and the Phil Ramone sessions. That's some of the most exciting Paul McCartney music I've heard in a long time. I want uh, that to come out. There's an extra on Press to Play archive reissue I do. <laughs> along with a remix of Press to Play, uh, a pre-Hugh Padgham remix album, along with... <sighs> Oh, maybe... Oh, there's so much you could do with a press-to-play one. It's pretty ridiculous, actually. Um, I do know yeah. that Jerry Marotta, the drummer, has said that he would love people to hear the original guide that he, Eric, and Paul did at Paul's house. Oh, that... that it, yeah, that would just be fantastic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, finding weird stuff to do. Um, there's another one that I'm really looking forward to, which is uh, Twin Freaks, uh, one yes. like McCartney's Madcap Remix album that I always put on whenever I'm going on the train or something like that. It just makes the hours fly by that album. It, again, it's strange. It's experimental. Paul is always listed as this very straight-laced, boring, kind of doe-eyed rock and roller who does his silly love songs. But And this sounds so pretentious and up my own ass, but if you go into the deep cuts, man, and the album tracks and the B-sides, man, then, and you put the effort in, then you do realise that he is anything but that. Yeah, exactly. Who doesn't like the version of coming up on there? That's just fabulous how that works. Oh, of course. And the wonderful world of these strange uh, Paul McCartney tracks just gets better and better for me. You know, discovering tracks like Peacocks recently, you know, I'm like, what the hell is this? And, you know, you just end up listening to this kind of, you know, loopy little instrumental for the next seven minutes of your life. So have you still got his Fireman uh, albums to listen to? I've not actually done deep dives on the Fireman stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm aware of them. I know I've listened to them under different levels of inebriation at university uh, and at my friend's house at one time or another, but I've never sat down and uh, written down my thoughts or anything like that. I am excited too, though. I'm definitely going to have my uh, Down in the Hole co-host Tom on for that one as well. Anyway, so coming towards the end of the show now, let's have a look. What other podcasts do you listen to then in your own time? Oh, hang on. You know what? Let me get my phone because there are so many. There there are so many. One moment. Also grabbing my charger because I've got like 2%.
Yeah, so I'm quite an avid cyclist, so I always need new podcasts to listen to. And, you know, you can never have too many Beatles shows, two legs, something about the Beatles, things we said today, alphabetical, another kind of mind, BC, the Beatles, Blotto Beatles, Fab Forecast, Fans on the Run, Glass Onion, uh, Ken Dashow's Beatles Revolution, I Am the Egg Pod, Nothing is Real. Have I got any more Beatles shows? Uh, screw it. We're just going to talk about the Beatles. Talk more talk. Beatles, Beatles naked. Uh, the Walrus was Paul. Um, there's a Travelling Wilburys podcast I really like. Uh, when There Was wow. Fab. Uh, we Don't Believe in Beatles. Uh, your Own Personal Beatles. And Yesterday and Today. That's just the Beatles shows I listen to, folks. And then um, I do try and branch out. Um, I do love... Um, Barney Hoskins, uh, the Rocks Back Pages podcast. That's really good. Uh, the Word in Your Ear with uh, David Hepworth and the guys from Q Magazine. That's an insanely insightful show, really. Um, I do like a good uh, true crime and conspiracy podcast as well. Uh, shout out to those conspiracy guys as well. I know uh, Anthony's been on that show, actually. Um, Sequelizers is really good as well. Um ridiculous rock record reviews of, of uh, being on that show as well i love that one uh, i'm also a sucker for a sopranos podcast shout out to vic from pod of bing um i'm also uh, an avid x-wing uh the board game fan so i listen to quite a few x-wing podcasts as well uh, strangely louis theroux released a podcast recently so i've just been going through all of that as well um what, what's it called grounded with louis theroux okay. um the big one, though, the one that everyone has to emulate and live up to in terms of quality, not in terms of quantity, because he releases a show like once every three months, is Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, folks. And it is the best podcast ever made. And no one comes close to second place. Uh, he's not a historian. He's just a self-described history fan. But if you want to listen to 12 hours on the American-Japanese conflict in World War II, in excruciating detail with more sources than a McDonald's condiment stand, then, you know, it is the podcast for you. Wow. That sounds like quite something. No, he's great. I love him. <laughs> uh, he's definitely been one of the inspirations for the show in terms of depth of research, certainly. Um, when I was on, when there was fab and they were all talking about, uh, 1970 um, they were just talking about stuff off the cuff and stuff and I felt horribly underprepared and uh, thankfully Ed's a fantastic editor so those episodes have come out alright yes I said to you the secret weapon is Ed he's a really good editor Ed the editor yeah yes yes Ed the editor so um, what, have you listened to uh, Joe's new radio show where he interviews people that uh, that write books about the Beatles Beatles books oh I was speaking to him on Instagram a few a few weeks ago and then he went on two legs um, but yeah I'm looking forward to uh, going through that show I've got a couple of them downloaded for my bike ride uh, later today actually I keep sending him pictures of books that I've got and going and saying to him have you got this one then Joe have you got this one what about this one no, um, I I just bought um, for a Beatles project that I'm working on at the moment. Um, what's it called? Uh, a Hard Day's Right. I'm definitely more of a revolution in the head kind of guy. Uh, I like that book a lot. There's also another one. I, I'm just going to... Uh, man looks up something on computer. Uh, it's it's just a book called Beatles Songs. Um, I heard of that. And it was really, here we go, Beatles songs by William J. Dowling, uh, published originally in October 1989. It is very similar to Revolution in the Head. But I remember when my friend lent me that book, I would not leave the toilet. I would just sit on the toilet and read this Beatles book for hours on end, and I'd end up getting sore legs. I was like that with Revolution in the Head. When that when I bought that, I couldn't take I couldn't take myself away from it. It's well, such a good read. Yeah, and you would be there for ten minutes with how long he spends writing about Revolution Nine. 
absolutely. So, have you got any advice for people starting their podcast for the first time? Is that a sort of way of you just asking me for a bit of advice now? Um, <laughs> yes. yes, it is. Go on. I guess. Um, Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Uh, well, you, you, you better book fucking better guests than me for a start, Marv. Um, I guess, um, yeah, make sure you've got someone fun to bounce off. Uh, make sure you're actually interested in the person you're interviewing. I would never reveal who, but um, I've certainly had some people on the show that once they arrived on the airwaves and started talking to me, I was internally bored. But, uh, you know, you got to be a showman. you got to put on the old razzmatazz, try and make people laugh and smile be cordial, always answer fan mail, answer them back. Don't be lazy in that regard. Um, make sure you're posting to your Twitter and your Instagram every day. You've got to keep up with that crap as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you've just got to keep at it. And it's like a, it's like a diet. You, you, if you slip up for one day, you've got to hate yourself for the next week and you've got to get back on the old podcasting horse. And um, if you're not getting downloads for the first two years, I don't care. Cause I, I didn't either. Uh, and it's something we all have to go through. Um, my, uh, my friend, Tom, he found a second niche when we broke up and we had our little hiatus. He did battle rap resume, which was a, a huge, uh, battle rap podcast here in the UK and that took off immediately and I was unbearably jealous of him for the longest of time and the worst part about it was is that he knew I was jealous like I couldn't hide it from him I couldn't hide it um, and then he went on to do Alpha Metallica where he reviews uh, Metallica songs alphabetically and that's done quite well as well but we might have a new project together that we may or may not be working on this week oh I'll, um, I'll zip my mouth up and not even ask you what that is no it's going to be a podcast that looks at the history of tupperware hey <laughs> there, there isn't one of them anywhere is there it's a niche and we're going to corner it that's it that's it like paul says you gotta sing gotta dance oh we don't talk about that song on paul and i think no absolutely not anyway thank you for being here no, thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm glad I was able to come on here before two legs. Uh, I mean, professionals like me don't cancel. Um, and if anything, they ring you a day early asking where you are because yes. I got the dates that wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, no, in all seriousness, thank you for having me on. This is a great little chat. Um, like I say, I always like to talk about myself and it's nice that I've got all of this on record for the Oscar-winning documentary they're eventually going to make about me in the in the future, you know? That's true, yeah. And then the, the docudrama in 20, 30 years. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, thank you for, for being here, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and um, hopefully see you next time on Pods Like Us. Thank you very much. Take care, everyone. It's recording on your end. Uh, yeah. yeah. Has like a prompt come up for you or anything? No. No, no uh, not at all. That's strange. Meeting information. I'm, I'm, I'm new to this. Same. Uh, audio. I'm on preferences. Uh, I mean, really, under other circumstances, I'd be quite tempted to. You know, if there wasn't all the restrictions going on, and I'd probably actually do this in person. Um, what? Are you Nottingham. local? I am Nottinghamshire. Oh. Nottinghamshire. Fairs. No, um, I've only ever done a couple of podcasts in person, and that's normally when I'm getting drunk with a friend and we're just listening to an album. Uh, <laughs> when I saw Paul live, he was in Birmingham. So. Oh, awesome. Now, I had to go all the way down to London, ended up spending so much money down there because we got there at like 10 in the morning and London's very expensive 
he did uh, he did temporary secretary as well live. Ah, oh, fantastic! Which was cool. I didn't get to see that one sadly. And I started to um, I started to do a video of it because I was going to pop it up, and then somebody sort of like nudged me and said, "You know, you can't post this online because you'll give away that it's one of those songs that is you know doing as a surprise song." Oh wow! So yeah, officials told me you know. <laughs> They came down to me and tapped me and said, delete that file. <laughs> wow. And, uh, you don't want to mess with Paul's lawyers? No, never. No, no, that's why. Louise said to me, she said, oh, you know, you could always do a take of his song, Spies Like Us, you know, for, for your tune. And I said, yeah, I could just see me in court against Paul's lawyers there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although it's always tempting to, you know, to, you know, parts like us. Oh. Right, I'm going to have a sip as well. Let's start this off officially. I hope I don't mess it up like I did last time. I had to put the intro twice. Alright. <laughs> yeah, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> strawberry fudge cake, strawberry fudge cake. Yep, it can only go downhill from here. Of course. <laughs> I never want to go on a podcast that would have me as a guest. <laughs>